What's up, y'all? This is Ramel Watley, and welcome to Truck and Hustle, the podcast for trucking entrepreneurs. If you want to learn about the trucking industry from the business side of things, you're in the right place. Every week, I interview the people who are making it happen on a daily basis. I get them to share their successes, their failures, and sometimes even their secrets. The goal is to show you how you too can create financial freedom in the booming trucking industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I think at one point in time, you know, 3PL was always synonymous with transportation, and that's an absolutely one way to do it. However, all the different touch points that transportation touch are opportunities within the 3PL as well. What's on that truck has to get unloaded and reloaded. So if you think about what can what where are those opportunities and spaces, you can really understand just the vast landscape of 3PL. Turn my mic up. For you. Take there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the road to the riches. Life takes a toll like bridges. Good friends become foes and snitches. Better watch who knows in your business. All right, Hustle Fam, Hustle Fam. We are back with another amazing episode. And today I'm in the beautiful... Louisville, Kentucky area. Is this Louisville or is this a is this yeah. is Louisville, right? Louisville. We're Louisville. Yep. In Louisville, Kentucky. I am here at HJI Supply Chain Solutions with President Conrad Daniels. Conrad, yes, welcome to Truck and Hustle, sir. Hey, thank you. And you know, very grateful for the opportunity uh, and the platform. So appreciate appreciate the invite. For sure. Thank you, man. So HJI, you guys do third party logistics, 3PL. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, supply chain solutions. So we're going to get into what that means, right? What that looks like from an operational standpoint. Learn about your story. Um, I know this is a very interesting story. The way you guys kind of came about and built this business, and just talk about you, man. Talk about your plans, your goals for the future, and talk about HJI, man. So you ready to get into it? Let's get into it. All right, Conrad. I see. I, I love saying your name, man. I, <laughs> I, I, I assumed different. his name was Conrad, but it's Conrad. So. Conrad, tell us a little bit about your background, you know, just kind of where, where, you, where you were born, just, you know, your backstory a little bit. Absolutely. So uh, born in the Philippines, mom's Filipino, um, dad's from uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, so born in the Philippines, grew up mainly in California, uh, Southern California, high desert, a place called Victorville, small okay. little city in the high desert up until uh, high school and then actually moved to South Georgia. Um, and from there, I uh, got the opportunity to further my education through a football scholarship at Georgia Tech and um, definitely capitalized on that opportunity and, and got a, an industrial and systems engineering degree from there. Um, moved up to Louisville. My spouse is from here, uh, my, my wife, Natalie. And um, that's, you know, the rest is history. Been here 23 years. And I uh, went back and got my MBA right after, before, well, in the middle of having our first child. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, that's kind of my, my background. And, it's the high level. And, yeah, high, high level. High <laughs> level, how, how I got here. Got it. All right. So you said you played ball, football at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. And you're also a student scholar, right? So you, what, was it, what did you uh, uh, study again? Uh, uh, industrial and systems engineering. Indu- so what does that mean? Break that down. Yeah, for me. so it's, it's a really big... Um, it's like you've got your mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, aerospace engineering, industrial and systems engineering is you kind of dibble and dabble in all of those things. Okay. So it's a more broad engineering and people 
kind of find themselves in more managerial roles. They like the engineering aspect of it, and they also like the leadership component of it. So for me, getting into logistics, process improvement, streamlining, um, efficiency, that's what industrial engineers do. They just make things better. Okay. Now, was that, so was that your, what was your goal when you got out of college? What did you want to be? Like, it was just an industrial engineer. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a big believer in you are what you're exposed to. Okay. And um, I was exposed to um, GE at the time in a distribution center. And we were able to um, look at data to do different layouts and how can we make things more efficient with different components and products going through a distribution center and then leaving, you know, out that out that dock door. So um, I guess what what really got me going was the opportunity to save companies, you know, thousands, millions of dollars just by improving the internal process. Mm. And a lot of people don't even realize kind of what goes on when you're looking at process improvement and how we streamline things and make things more efficient. Got it. So that, that was your first job with GE? It was a senior design project. Okay. Yeah. Senior design project. Um, got an offer. And my wife, at, well, girlfriend at the time said, if you want this to work, then you got to move to Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> so I quickly changed my job search to Louisville, Kentucky and ended up going on um, with her family business, uh, which was the transportation industry. Okay. Yeah. T- tell, tell me about that pivot and that transition. Yeah. So um, it was r- a really good transition for me. I was responsible for process leadership. And uh, that's a fancy word for process improvement. So I would travel to all the different truck terminals and figure out a way to help save the company money. Okay. Whether it was through uh, material waste, screws, bolts laying around, um, or uh, labor. Um, You know, how can we do something faster, um, quicker, more efficient, and potentially have some labor savings involved? And then documenting processes. Uh, making sure that we're all aligned with um, ISO 9000, you know, standards, quality standards. Uh, it was a really good opportunity for me to to understand how to apply some of this knowledge, you know, books, practicality um, at Georgia Tech into actually some real real life scenarios. So it was it was a I, I thought it was a a great opportunity for me to just understand different different facets of how to how to run a business and um when you get focused on well really focusing on process improvement got it when you joined the company how, how old was the company at, at, at that time can you kind of and can you, t- can you talk about the origins of the company yeah so um my in-laws ended up it was it was a really cool story that they that they have and they're they're the founders of, of hji um, they, you know, my, my, my mother-in-law, um, and my father-in-law, um, came out of the university system teaching. They were both teachers. Uh, father-in-law ended up, um, getting into coaching and he was the, actually one of the first black athletes at the university of Louisville. Right. Um, at a time when they were still integrating some things, uh, he went on to have a lot of success. Um, 
All right, guys, Truck and Hustle has now partnered with Transpo CFO, powered by Venning. Transpo CFO offers a streamlined monthly subscription for businesses to consolidate their accounting, payroll, and tax needs into one flat monthly rate, saving businesses a tremendous amount of time and money while making their financial operations much smoother for the long road ahead. Check out Transpo CFO in the description below and tell them Truck and Hustle sent you. Now, let's get back to the show. At Louisville as a player. He coached high school basketball, taught history, then started having success at the collegiate level as an assistant at the University of Louisville. And he was he got an opportunity to coach um, at the University of Tennessee. Mm. And he, so he was the first black coach in the SEC. In the SEC, yeah. yeah. That's um, amazing. Yeah, Wade Houston. And, of course, we know his son um, and my, my brother-in-law, Alan Houston, that went on uh, to be an NBA All-Star, Olympic gold medalist, and um, – all-time scorer with the Tennessee, you know, Vols, and, of course, had a very long career with the New York Knicks. Um, when they got – when he finished coaching at the University of Tennessee, they took an idea and said, hey, we want to get into business. We want to be entrepreneurs. And at the time, there was a company, a Ford Motor Company, and they wanted their supplier base – to look like their consumer base. Okay. And it wasn't at the time. <laughs> okay. So gave them an opportunity, gave them a route, started off with two trucks, two trailers, and continued just to grow that, grow that, until they, they had an opportunity um, to do a, a, a joint venture with a majority company out of Kenosha, Wisconsin. So um, uh Alice Houston, Wade Houston, at the and at the time their partner Charlie Johnson, um, they uh, did a joint venture with a company out of Wakosha, uh, Wisconsin, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and that started to form, you know, a pretty big transportation company, mm. and they were able to grow that, um, gosh, to probably a four hundred. I think it was about a four hundred million dollar company, one of the largest minority owned transportation companies um and i came on in 2000 so it was kind of at the height of all of that success and in the very next year they divested of all of that transportation business and wanted to go into a different route and they kept this small little warehousing company called at the time houston johnson inc okay so when so i came on with all the transportation companies and then the very next year, they divested of all of those transportation companies, and we were left with a single-sourced warehouse just having really one customer in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, what, so we went okay. from something really a big Large. elephant to a, to a small mouse. <laughs> okay. No, that, that, that's, that's interesting. So it, was, it started off as all trucking, right? Yes, so it was all transportation. All asset-based trucking transportation, right? And they had the opportunity. You said the first opportunity was with Ford. Mm -hmm. Right. And they grew from one, two trucks to just hundreds yes. of trucks. All right. So why divest? What what happened with that? What was the uh, purpose? They just there were three families that basically ran it. So three partners um, and they just all had different interests. Got it. Got yeah, it. So they uh, think they were able to do an ESOP deal prior to um, divesting and um, gave a lot of opportunity to a lot of people and decided, you know what? 
it's it's time to pursue some different interests. Okay, got it. But we're left with a warehouse. Left with a warehouse. One hit warehouse, one customer. Who was that customer? It dude? was Ford. It was still Ford. <laughs> it was Ford. Good customer <laughs> yeah, to have. Good customer. Yeah. Not not a bad person to still have around. <laughs> right, All right. So right. talk about that. So they transitioned from trucking. Now they they have the warehouse and 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 they're still partnered with Ford. So um the business model is going to change now. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. Yeah. So it, it's interesting that um it came full circle. How, you know, they started with Ford and then just started doing business with all of the automotive OEMs, but then came back to Ford. Um, and it's it's amazing to me the power of one person in a procurement position to take a chance on someone. That's what it came down to. Yeah. Uh, and it comes full circle because when we were left with just the, the Ford warehouse, um, it was time to grow the business again. And, um, and the owners, Allison Wade Houston, um, along with myself, and, you know, we kind of started this, create this small infrastructure to grow. I don't think any of us knew, you know, how we were going to grow it when you go from something so big in transportation to right. something so small, not transportation related. Right. Um, but I think going through transportation, you start to understand the different opportunities and value within the supply chain and we we started to quickly understand and as i started to get you know an understanding of okay so you can you don't have to just add value with the transportation component but everything that comes on a on a tractor has to get unloaded has to get warehoused and then something has to happen while it's being warehoused yeah so we took that as an opportunity to figure out how can we add value how can we add some stickiness mm. <laughs> to just the warehousing? Okay. And um, and that became our niche. Okay. You know, not just the warehousing company, but adding value to the products while it's in our um, four walls and then sending it out with uh with an with an increased value to it. Got it. Can you can you dive a little bit deeper into what that value add kind of looks yeah. like? Yeah. So um uh we really once we started to grow, we really got into um what's called uh line side presentation. So um companies that don't have a presence around certain OEMs, in this case, you know, um an assembly plant here in Louisville, Kentucky the parts may come from Canada, China, um, Mexico. However, they have to get unloaded from one container into a different container that makes it easier for line side presentation at the OEM where they're installing something. Okay. So say for example, I, you have um, one of the first uh, parts that we, have, we, that we got the opportunity to add value to was drive shafts. Okay. And they make, at the time, it was over 300 drive shafts to Got choose it. from. Types, styles of drive shafts. Types, styles, <laughs> short, long, double, triple shafts. And these all go on F250, 350, 450, you know, Ford trucks. Got it. Expeditions, navigators. So they all just take a different length okay. of a drive shaft. And some are aluminum, um, you know, some aren't. So, um, if the plant were to have that in their facility, they would need 50,000 square feet because you need 
places for all these different 300 types of drive shafts. Right. Well, when you got that type of real estate tied up in storage, it's not tied up in manufacturing and innovation. Mm. So you take that out, you put it in a facility, one of HGI's facilities, we take all 300 of those drive shafts and then we put them in a very sequential order based on how they're going to use it at the OEM. So now when the operator receives this rack that they, um, that they get over at the plant, they don't have to think because we did all that for them. We made sure the right shaft, if it was going to be a, a red truck, red 250, we matched it with whatever that drive shaft was needed. The next one was going to be Expedition. We matched it with the next drive shaft that was needed. And we did that. We'd send it over to the plant. When they get to the line, this line is moving because they're making about 70 trucks an hour. Right. So the person on the line, all they have to do is reach out and grab the right part and put it on. Grab the right part, put it on. They don't have to search for 300 drive shafts. They don't have to walk around. It's all in that closed loop rack that we've put in there and we get paid to make sure the right part is in the right slot and it's on time. Mm. Okay. So and, that's, and, and that's, that's what you call and that's what you call line side presentation. That's is line that, side presentation. So that's an exp, uh, that's breaking it down. It's breaking it down and it's part of, you know, people don't un- quite understand just the vast opportunities there are to add value within a supply chain. That was just one way we were able to add value to the supply chain. It happened to be one of the more complex ones, and <laughs> right. we had no idea. Right. You know, sometimes when you're only exposed to something that's really difficult, you think everything is difficult. For sure. So we were, in getting into that business, we didn't realize just how advanced we were. We had to invest in so many different types of systems. We had to invest in... um um, equipment and software that made sure that we were sending the right parts and we only had about two and a half to three hours of lead time <laughs> wow so we were getting a we were getting a broadcast about every 20 to 30 seconds and then we had to turn around and ship it in about two and a half hours Wow. And I thought that was normal. Yeah, yeah. Because you didn't know any different. <laughs> I didn't know any different. So we put all these systems in place and then it doesn't take you long to realize that you send it right, you get a dollar. You send it wrong, <laughs> you're paying about $2,000 a minute. Wow. That is down. For their downtime. Yes, because you got to pay for all of oh, the people wow. on that line. So um, the risk was really high, um, which was good because it was a one of those natural you know, barriers of entry that right. people just like, mm, I don't know if I want to get into that, that line of business. However, we did it really well. Um, to this day, uh, 20 years later, we still have that product. Um, and we, there, you know, we had to rebid it every four to five years. Got it. Uh, who, who, who exposed you guys to this opportunity? What was it for? Did they tell you that, Hey, this is a, a pain point of ours. Mm-hmm. This is something that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of, kind of talk about that? Yeah. Again, and you know, it, it, um, you had a, a, a handful of procurement people out of, um, out of Detroit that really wanted to give minority owned businesses an opportunity to participate and make their, 
um, supplier base look like the people that are buying their products. Right. Um, we didn't know it was going to be so difficult <laughs> and hard. However, uh, we're very grateful for the opportunity to be born out of automotive. And as I've, you know, as I grew within the company, um, automotive was really good until it wasn't. <laughs> right. And then you quickly realize, okay, automotive is a really good industry. And when it's not, how are you diversifying your business so that in the event, the economy, you know, my first experience of that was in 2008, 2009. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if for most of us that were around, you quickly realize, ooh, so this is what happens when you don't diversify, you know, what you're doing. So we had to put a lot of money into the business. Um, and that was just a lesson and opportunity for me to understand if we do this so well in automotive, how does that translate over to other industries? And that's when we started to realize how advanced we were mm. in this 3PL space. And um, it, it ended up being a lot easier and we were able to navigate a lot better in other industries because automotive was just so much so complex, advanced. right? The supply chain was so synchronous. They rely very heavily on the supply chain and their suppliers to make sure that, you know, things are being delivered on time and are readily available and retrievable. Got it. So what, what uh, give, give us some examples of some other niches that this, you know, is transferable uh, to. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were back in 2008, um, nine. We had just gone into a second facility, but doing the same type of sequencing automotive stuff. Um, and then 2016, we got the opportunity to do it at a bigger scale. So, you know, going from, oh, we had three or four parts to uh, now, you know, we have, you know, 15, you know, 10 to 15 types of these sequencing opportunities. Um, and then I became president in 2017. And was grateful for the opportunity to have the confidence in, in the owners through a six-year generational succession plan to lead the family business and have that confidence and really start to diversify mm. out of, you know, just automotive. While it's it's good and we were born out of it, we quickly understood, oh, okay, so we can get into food and beverage. We can get into healthcare. We can get into appliances. We can get into uh, consumer and, you know, e-commerce order fulfillment. Um, and then that just started to roll. So that's that's how we've been able to grow from, you know, two facilities. So we just opened up our seventh uh, distribution center and we're across Kentucky and ten Tennessee. Um, and to go from, um, you know, a handful of employees to uh, over 500 now. Wow. So so. I understand how it works in terms of the automotive component, right? But how does how what's a what's different in terms of like food and beverage, e-commerce? Like, can you explain like what you're doing? Because all those, I'm assuming, it's like a different process, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So what what are you doing with with those particular niches? Yeah. So um, again, um, we do some of the warehousing piece of it. Okay. And then when they realize, oh, we can add additional value because we have the capability to break those pallets down 
into cases, into eaches, and then manipulate it somehow. So for the food and beverage, we'll do a lot of kidding uh, for different... Um, what does that mean? What's kidding? Oh, kidding is just... It's, it's, it's taking um, three or four individual SKUs and creating one new SKU. Okay. And so... Um, so give me like a real world example. Like, like we'll take um, a bottle of Jack Daniels. Uh, Brian Foreman's one of our you know bigger customers. A bottle of Jack Daniels, two shot glasses, um, put it in some thermoform, and so you got these three different components that we put into packaging that now becomes one product. You guys do that, huh? <laughs> and then it See goes all the time out it, there. Yeah, the it, go, it goes to the shelves and to the stores. Okay. Um, so yeah, so these things within the supply chain, people don't even realize. Oh yeah, someone's got to do Somebody's that. Somebody's got to do it because no one's making the glass, no one's making uh, and fulfilling the uh, the distillery and, and and the liquor and the cardboard. Everyone has. We make the cardboard. We make the glass. We make, you know, so you guys actually bourbon. make the cardboard and glass. Oh no, and no, you we, have an outside we, yeah, vendor. Yeah, we for that are stuff. the integrator. Okay. We bring got it. Okay. all that stuff in, and then we put the stuff in. Okay, you know, so sometimes we do it manually. Sometimes we can automate it, um, and as long as the volume is is high enough. Um, yeah. So that's when you talk about three PL. I mean, there's people that absolutely do the transportation in between, and when we do some of that, uh, however. We focus more on what can we do within four walls? How can we add value within four walls by receiving your product, doing something to it, and then sending it back out? Got it. How what, what's like? How many competitors are in this space of what you do? Are there tons of companies that do what there, you do in terms of like the value add portion? Yeah, it's so fragmented. It is. I mean, yes, there are a couple of really big you know players. Um, that can do it all. They got the transportation, you know, they've got the distribution centers. Um, they're global. And then um, you have a lot of companies mid-sized like ours that are really location-based. You know, some in some of our some of our customers, we have to be within a five-mile radius of the OEM that it's going to if it's like an inbound value add um, that they're going to have to need for their manufacturing process. Right. In some cases, um, we have customers where we do aftermarket things. So uh, let's say you, um, someone gets in an accident, you take your car somewhere, the dealership has to order something. Um, we have a part, we'll customize it to whatever that dealership needs, and then we'll send it to the dealer. Mm. You know, so... Again, it's an automotive part, but now it's no longer inbound like we were doing with the sequencing. Now it's aftermarket, you know, with uh, with because things, you know, happen, right. accidents happen, and you might need that same part, but in a different capacity. Right, right. That's fascinating, man. It's like you don't even think about this stuff. Yeah. Like you said, it's happening, and you don't even think about right, it. Right, right. So, so you guys have multiple warehouses mm -hmm. to do the, to do all this stuff? Yeah, we've got about 1.2 million square feet okay. of, of facilities across Kentucky and Tennessee. Got it. And in terms of, like, your customers, how do people find you? Yeah, well, I mean, we've got salespeople, um, referrals, um, online presence. You know, you got to have a website. 
we're also minority owned and women owned. So we go to a lot of the trade shows. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, the last few years, you know, we've been launching at a clip that I keep saying, okay, I need to do another acquisition. However, the organic growth <laughs> is sometimes all the bandwidth we can, we can handle, you right. know? So, uh, that's a good thing. You know, that's, it's, it, it's a good thing. Um, there's some uncertainty after, you know, this year as prices start to rise and the cost of doing things and building facilities start to rise. How is that going to impact our business? Yeah. Um, so you got to start to diversify into different things to make sure that, okay, if people stop buying vehicles and the used market, you know, starts to go up, what other lines are we in? You know, that's why we're uh, into, you know, healthcare and into food and beverage um, into, um, e-commerce order fulfillment. I mean, everyone's ordering stuff off their phones, you know, nowadays. So, um, just getting into that, into that game has been great. For How us. does it apply to healthcare? Uh, so healthcare, um, great example. Um, we had a big event a couple years ago called COVID. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, everybody went, everybody went home (laughs) and then, you know, you had to be deemed, um, I forgot what the, what the essential, essential, you had to be deemed essential. So we were deemed essential and, um, and it was still scary because back then we didn't know, you know, I mean, if you were like me, any grocery that came into your house, you were Lysoling it down before <laughs> right, it went right, into the right. refrigerator 100%. and everything else. Um, so uh, during that time, um, one of our uh, our customers, uh, Humana, uh, they had a really great supply chain. However, it relied on small cases. Well, at that time, they needed bulk shipments of mass all kind of PPE, you know, uh, personal protective equipment, yeah. masks, gowns, um, you know, all kind of gloves, every, all that stuff. And their supply chain couldn't handle it because they were used to just delivering cases to all of their locations. Well, now they were coming in pallets. Mm. And because of they, COVID. Yeah, Crazy. because of COVID. And yep. they were trying to get it from anywhere and everywhere as fast as they could because it was running out. So they came to us. Uh, we had just gone through their um, inaugural mentor protege program. So timing was perfect. And uh, they knew who we were. We knew who they were, how they um, did procurement. They came to us with, we need a way to distribute all this PPE equipment to all of our centers and facilities. Um, and we got to do it now. So within uh, three weeks, we started receiving all of their PPE from all over the, the world and uh, into our facility. And then we created um, a uh, point of entry or I think it's called a, a, an order entry system for all of their associates so that they can log into HGI's order entry system. Hey, I need three cases of gowns. I need four boxes of gloves. I need uh, seven boxes of um, masks. And we would we receive that into our warehouse manager system. We'd go out, we'd break down these pallets, 
into individuals, which is what we do all the time. Right. And then, um, and we'd, we'd ship them out to them individually. Okay. So, um, I think we sent out over 8 million pieces of PPE, um, and we were able to do that and get up and running within six, seven weeks. Wow. You know, so bigger companies would, it would probably be challenging for them to do that with a smaller, you know, mid-sized company, um, that had an infrastructure in place could react a little bit more quickly. And, and we were able to, to do that. And, and quite frankly, I mean, it was, it was really cool and amazing to see, um, so many of our, um, so many of our team members, um, be okay with one being essential two taking a risk. Cause at the time we did not know a whole lot about yeah. COVID, you know, we yeah. started to understand, Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> however, at the time it was, it was still scary. And our solutions partners were, were more driven by the fact that other people needed this PPE, these doctors, these physicians, these nurses that were, that were on the front lines needed this stuff. And we were delivering it to them as fast as we could. Got it. How, how do you how do you guys go about pricing these type of projects? Because they're so diverse in nature. Yeah. Right. Like what's what's your methodology around pricing and coming up with the proper costs? To yeah. Make sure you're still profitable as a business. Absolutely. Um, this isn't a high margin, you know, business. You know, we're not um, making something. Um, however, as long as you take care of your fixed costs, your your overhead, you know, the, the rent, you know, uh, packing, you know, all that stuff. And then you take into account and make sure you can pay for your labor. Um, and then you got to run it the way you bid it. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, I think that's what uh, separates uh, the people that are still in business and the ones that aren't. Right. Um, so uh, it's I think it's um, it's something that we've learned over time. You know, we've made mistakes. Yeah. I was um, going to say, has it ever been a time where you oh, maybe yeah. underpriced something and, you know, we're kind of in the red yeah. after you came came out yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and you learn from it and um and then hopefully you know the next opportunity you get uh you make sure that you're actually making money you know and then you realize okay now it was it wasn't just a a lesson it was just an it was an investment and you know when you fail you just got to fail fast right um sometimes we i think we try to recover too quick and then lose an opportunity because you made a mistake yeah. You know, um, however, being open and honest and transparent and just next time saying, hey, we thought we could do it for this and we can't. Right. This is what we can do it for. <laughs> right, right, right. You, you said bidding on it. So, like, who would you be bidding with for, like, some of these opportunities? Like, who who's a bid being submitted to? Oh, yeah. There's, yeah, there's, there's tons a, of different. Yeah, there are, uh, there are some local competitors. There's national competitors. Um, that we have to um, bid against. Some are more organic, and in that we um, they come to us or we go to them with a solution to save them. You know, because cost savings throughout the supply chain. If they did this and this and this, um, we like those projects because you know we're <laughs> kind of driving them, it. Yeah, educating the customer. We're educating it. Yeah. We're going to save them uh, money, and um, and there's a loyalty factor there. Uh, you know, that they, they, that comes along with it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, a it's a competitive landscape and, uh, if you, if you do it right and, and you, um, 
and you make sure that there's a good customer fit because not all it's not all going to be a good fit. Right. But if you can make sure there's a good customer fit, you can really enjoy what you're doing. How how is like the customer churn in, in your business? Do you retain a lot of the customers? Or? We do. We do because we're you know we're adding value you know to it. There's there is a segment where we say hey, you know we just need temporary stores to get us through this piece. Of course, we try to convert those into long-term <laughs> customers. Right, right, right. However, in the event we don't, we understood it was temporary. And they just needed just a Band-Aid to get them through an issue in their supply chain. Um, and you never know. You know, they can they could be um, the next customer that gives us a referral because we helped them out of something, although we're not doing business with them. Right. right? Are the contracts simply like like annual, like a long? How how are the contracts usually written? Are they long Depending, term? Yeah, some you know like you know we have one um, facility where we literally build seats for a seat, an automotive seat maker. Okay. So those cons, you know, those are like you know four or five year contracts because there's a lot of capital equipment that goes into that type of setup. Right. With For you fixtures, guys. Yeah. And everything else. So you got to be able to pay it off over time. What's the, what's the biggest challenge in, in your business? People, people, people talk about that. Yeah. Uh, you've got what I really enjoy seeing, which is pay equity happening because of competition, not because of the federal government. Um, minimum wage is still where it was years ago. However, the value of what you, we used to be able to pay, you know, a $10, 12 an hour person is, you know, significantly way up. I really enjoy that piece of it um, because that pay equity is going to resonate a lot more. I just wish the cost of living didn't increase with the pay equity. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> right. um, sometimes it's a wash, you know, and, and you try to figure out because um, you're only as good as, as your solutions partners. That's what we call all, all of our people that are in our facilities. Um, and, you know, we, we try to create opportunities for them. Um, and it's a, it's a difficult landscape right now. Uh, so you try to really, I mean, we've had to focus a lot on culture mm. and purpose, you know. So when you come to work for NHJI, we're a little different because we have a different core focus. We have a different mission. You know, it's all about, you know, opportunity. It's about um, narrowing the racial wealth gap. Um, so it's, it's a little different for us. And, in the, and then it's about community we invest a lot in our, our community and we give second chances, you know, to people that have had to pay their debt to society. Um, so there is a, a, um, a component to our business that we always want to be close to enhancing the communities that we have facilities in. Mm, got it. Do you guys have any partners that you work with? Like if there's a opportunity that like there's like bandwidth required that you'll kind of outsource the opportunity or work with someone else how, how do you just like if you can't take it you, you just don't do it oh no yeah we um i mean we have other people that are trying to grow their business and they're in the same line of business that we're in yep and we absolutely help them we say hey this doesn't fit <laughs> what we do it's a little lower volume however we've got someone else 
you know, another MBE or, you know, that can, that would be, that would love to take you on. I mean, you'd, you'd be an important customer to them. That's okay. kind of just in network. So it'll still be under their business. It wouldn't be through you guys. No, no, no. We are essentially referring them to. Okay. That. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we have spend just like every other, you know, company. So we try to make sure that 30% of our spend goes to minority women owned businesses or other disadvantaged groups. Mm. Um, so whether it's, us managing transportation, um, outsourcing some of our hiring needs to uh, a, a staffing, you know, agency uh, where we buy our supplies. Um, yeah, so we we try to we try to partner and and be selective in how we can make sure that we're again narrowing this racial wealth gap. Got it. What are your projections in terms of in terms of growth for the next? couple of years what are you guys looking at yeah we've got a we've got a three-year five-year and 10-year plan Talk you know and and um you know a lot of there's a lot of detail that <laughs> that goes into that i'm sure uh but from a a high level um you know we have a we have profit margin expectations that we want to hit uh we want to um do an acquisition of a company half our size uh because we're trying to grow uh Five, five years into it, we want to be 100% bigger than what we are now. Mm. And each year, la- uh, 2021, we grew 40% uh, top-line revenue growth. Last year, uh, we grew about 30% top-line revenue growth in some very difficult economic times. For sure. So um, I feel like we're managing the uncertainty of the economy, and we're trying to grow and scale. The torch has been passed from that founder and first generation to the second generation you know my sister-in-law and i um so uh we've got energy we're probably leveraging debt and taking more risk uh than um than our the founders and um and they're okay with that you know and my goal is to make sure that when i hand this off to the third generation um that they can even take it to 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 another level to another level what what was top line revenue? Are you able to share that? I can't. You no, can't share can't revenue. Share, no. Okay. Are you able to share like margins? Uh, yeah, yeah. We're definitely trying to get to um, where everything we do is fifteen percent. Okay. You know, profit margin. Okay. Um, and how do you do that? By saving. Um, I think the 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 way that we're going to try to do it is um, trying to cut down on waste, whether it's walking, distance, lifting, and increase additional opportunities for automation through um, autonomous mobile robots. Um, And, you know, the things that are just redundant and consistent, we want to try to automate that stuff. And then upskill, because there's just a shortage of people, upskill those people to be able to hopefully make more money by monitoring all of these autonomous mobile robots that we got. Have, have you guys around. started to integrate autonomy yes. into the warehousing yes. already? Yes. How has that been working for you? It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. You guys. It's, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. Um, however, it's, it's allowed us to really bring on a completely different set of talent to our teams. Yeah. And they're really challenging the way now you we got think. like video game players as opposed to... <laughs> <laughs> they're really they're really challenging the, the the way the way that we think. So you know, automation is one way. I think the other way 
that we're going to be able to increase profit margins um, is, you know, we're really challenging the hierarchy of work. Can you explain that? Um, I don't know if you all know, but, you know, we, the way this top down pyramid approach of, you know, president, you know, manager, supervisor, you know, all of that, that complete pyramid. Right. Um, when we went through mass, um, the um, industrial revolution to mass production, we really didn't have a way to do that. And the only way we saw it in action was through the military. So we really adopted how the military did things, their hierarchy, because they were able to control a lot of people with generals, corporals, sergeants. And that was really the only hierarchy that we had. And we've adopted it. You know, business world adopted it. The Catholic Church adopted it. We've adopted it, you know, at HJI. And we're really trying to look at how, how can we augment that with self-directed work teams, empowering people, paying them more, um, setting expectations within a sandbox of and, and giving people limits, but also empowering them to say, do you really need a supervisor over you or can you make these decisions? Can you all work out work schedules and, you know, things like that? So. We're experimenting, you know, we're going to go facility by facility to kind of challenge the hierarchy of just work in itself. And, and the ultimate goal is, you know, when we say, how do we try to increase profit margins? If we can decrease our SGNA, which is that supervisor level, if we decrease that, then your margins will go up because mm. you don't need you know, all that supervision. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got your crew, everyone has a role, everyone has expectations and you go out and do it. Yeah. Have you ever seen a use case for for that where it worked? Uh, yes. Yeah. And I haven't seen it in my line of business. I've seen it in manufacturing. Um, and we do some assembly and, you know, light manufacturing, but, um, it's a it's a welcome challenge, and I think the entire uh, you know leadership team is is excited about challenging that that hierarchy. Yeah, I want to go back to the automation really quick just yeah. to talk about that because sure. that's obviously you know people are always online looking at like robots taking over you know human jobs, and it's kind of scary in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like the whole iRobot thing. How how deep how deep do these like robots go? Like like what what type of jobs do you have the robots doing for you right now? And what do you like? What's the maximum level that where you can see them actually, you know, working in the warehouse? Like from your experience so far. Yes, I think all of the automation that we do, or it's welcomed by the people that we're doing it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, They're and, like, well, I'm cool with him lifting yeah. that box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> not I mean, a problem. <laughs> one of the one of the first you know easier implementations that we did was literally we'd have you know cases of you know 30 35 pound boxes coming off the end of the line and you know we have this automation line where we're putting stuff in it gets to the end of the line and then we have to build pallets you know and then we've got a stretch rabbit you know and all that stuff and um 
lifting 30 pounds over time. Yeah. Yeah. Wear and tear. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So introducing a robot with a vision system that can take that off, build it, put it in any type of orientation you need it to go. When that's done, forklift comes, puts it onto a stretch wrap, and then the robot starts doing it on the other end. So it's just consistent. It's constant. Um, it's taking away a lot of your ergonomic issues and your insurance, you know, workers comp. That right workers comp. Yeah. So that, you know, all of these things are just welcome, you know, in, in, in the other space of, of the autonomous mobile robots, if you have aisles that are, uh, some of our aisles are, you know, 200, you know, feet long. And if you're asking someone to go up and down that aisle or multiple aisles, you're only adding value when the person is picking up the piece. Right. All of the walk time is just waste. That's non-value added time. So if you can get something else to do the walking for you, a robot coming, and then you just get the piece and put it on there, and then it does all the traveling to the pack station, and then the packer just does that. Now you've eliminated a person doing all of that walking. Mm. Is there a day when robots completely take over the warehouse where there's just no humans there? There are some. Yeah. I don't know any here in the United States, but, um, you know, we've taken trips and, you know, over in Europe, uh, there's there's a lot of warehouses that um, there might be two people running an entire warehouse and wow. everything else is just autonomous mobile robots. Very interesting. Very, very interesting future ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Entrepreneurial questions real quick, man, sure. just in terms of uh mindset how do you stay on how do you stay uh, uh uh organized how do you stay on point like self-development just kind of talk about as a as a a leader you know mm-hmm. what are the things that you're doing to continuously keep yourself on point and just keep developing yourself as a leader sure um one making sure that the different networking or groups that you're in um there's always people that are smarter than you. I mean, I think that's really important when you're when you're hiring people, making sure you're hiring people that um, excel at a blind spot that you may have, because you're just learning from that. You know that 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 um, interaction. I think get you know you you can never stop learning. You know whether it's just reading, um, you know, going to different conferences. Uh, opportunities to network with people that um, may not be in your industry, um, but are other, they're, they're entrepreneurs as well, you know, doing their thing. Uh, and then just, I mean, just surrounding yourself with people that are like you. Yeah. That value culture, you know, that, that value growth, um, that value risk, um, that value being a better husband, that value being a better um, father, you know, a better brother. I mean, I think that's that's kind of what it's what it's all about. Yeah. Just that that positive, those positive interactions with people. 
For sure, for sure. Well, truly amazing what you guys have built here. Um, I'm just fascinated. Like I said, just something you don't even think about, right? Just right. like everyday things that's like, you know, oh, that has to ha- get happen some way, right? And that's what you guys are doing here at HJI. So, yeah. so really cool. Uh, before we wrap, we always, number one, we I want to let um, give you the opportunity to let everybody know where they can, can connect with you. Mm-hmm. Um directly and then also we always have a final thought for the show so that final thought could be something entrepreneurial spiritual you know just something to leave the audience with just just some final words um and then and then we'll wrap man um so let's start with where they can connect with you and learn more about hji yeah um our website www.hjisolutions.com um is a is you know our our main online platform i'm on linkedin um Conrad Daniels at C O N D R A D. That's a little different. Uh so Conrad Daniels. Um um yeah. That's... And, and and final thought. <clears throat> Man, final thought. Um gosh, I think um I think for a lot of a lot of your audience that are looking to figure out how to get into this three PL landscape. I think at one point in time, you know, 3PL was always synonymous with transportation, and that's an absolutely one way to do it. However, all the different touch points that transportation touch are opportunities within the 3PL as well. What's on that truck has to get unloaded and reloaded. And so if you think about what can what where are those opportunities and spaces, you can really understand just the vast landscape of 3PL. So for those that are, you know, entrepreneurs really wanting to get into this, um, at the end of the day, I think your your ultimate goal is to, as as a leader, as an as an entrepreneur, is to set the tone, shape the culture, and then role model the the behavior. If you do those three things. Um, I think success will come, you know, as you start to build your team. Mm, I love that. Conrad Daniels. Listen, if you don't respect that, your whole perspective is whack. Hustle fam, you know what we do around this time. If you smell something burning, it is only a desire. We are here at HAI Solutions, well, Supply Chain Solutions. Myself, President Conrad, well, we're we going to take away that president type <laughs> yeah, soon. Yeah. We're working on that. But listen, y'all, this has been a great episode. We are out. If you twisted, confused, or stuck about trucks, don't be dumb. This is the place to come. Truck and hustle. Let's go.